Perception, Perception is reality. Reality. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the 160th episode of Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey and myself, Amber Green. What's the, what's the H for? Herbert. Oh, okay. H-E-R-B-E-R-T. I hear you say it every week and I've never asked. Absolutely. That's me. When I was a kid, it used to bother me. I didn't like my middle name. I didn't like the name Herbert. But as I've grown older, I've grown into it. And I'm quite fond of it now, as everyone can tell. (laughs) So thanks for doing the intro there, Amber. It's like the first time I think we've had you do that. So we'll have to start having you do the intro more and more. Uh, for this episode, we might as well get right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in, being with us for a little bit of time. We're going to be talking about something that has the potential to affect us all, and it's something that I've noticed a lot of people tend to be dealing with right now, whether it's coming out of the pandemic, or it's got something to do with job-related issues, or family stressors, but it seems like there is a good part of my friend base that happens to be dealing with a little bit of depression or anxiety. And I figured that this episode might be a good time to look at how that affects us. You know, we are obviously not doctors. We are not, you know, Uh, trained in our day-to-day lives in dealing with this. We're not trying to diagnose ourselves or anybody else, but we are living human beings, and we do experience things. Uh, I did go to school for psychology and criminal justice, so I, I do have that background. However, I never really did anything with it, but beyond law enforcement. That said... Uh, I, I figured that we could explore how this has affected us, and maybe that could help somebody out there listening. You could find out that, hey, somebody else is dealing with this. You know, the, the key factor here is to talk about this. It's to open it up so people understand, hey, This doesn't have to be something that I keep in the dark. It doesn't have to be something that I don't talk about. This is something that I need to talk about. I need to find a peer group to talk to it, you know, to talk to about this, whether that be my friends or people at church. I need to find a doctor to talk to because we want to take away the stigma of having depression or anxiety. Because when you suffer from depression or anxiety and you do so alone that's when it gets really bad and when it it can get scary if we get to a point where we can discuss this openly and honestly and we can have a conversation about this maybe we can help each other out and so while i will say i am at a better point in my life now than i have ever been and I am not currently sad or depressed. There have definitely been points in my life where I have 
dealt with sadness or depression, and we'll get into that in a moment. But this is meant to take the cover off of this topic. I, I've done another episode like this in the past where I interviewed an individual, and we talked about several different issues, and this was just one of them. But I figured we might re-examine this topic and look at it from our perspectives, from my perspective, and since Amber is here, from her perspective, and give you guys, the listeners, a chance to offer your perspective. If we talk about something in the show that's relevant to you, please don't hesitate to email us at khbilbury at gmail.com or call or text the show at 765-546-9796 or hit me up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash bilbury318 or Christopher H. Bilbury on Facebook. And give us your insight if there's something that you want to talk about, if you have something that you disagree with us about, if you have something that you agree with us about, if you have something that you would like to add to the conversation, don't hesitate to let us know. I would definitely love to include your thoughts in a later broadcast. So please contact us and let us know. But the number one thing that we want to do is take the stigma off of this topic and let people know that this is something that we can talk about. As far as I'm concerned, this is a community topic because we are all active in the community. Whether we're involved with politics or not, we're all active in our lives and we deal with each other and we deal with folks out in the public that we know and we don't know. And you never know who's suffering from what. And if this is a way that we can help even one person, then it's well worth it. So we're going to be talking about depression and how that has come up and the ways it's affected our lives in hopes that this topic can help even one of you. So we're going to get into this topic and explore what we can explore here. First, I have to say, like no other episode, because what we're talking about, please share this show with everyone you know. Remind folks we can be found on all major podcast hosting sites. All they have to do is search us by our full name, Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. It'll pop us right up. If they want to go to the home link, that might be one of the easiest ways. You can find everything in one place. It's at perception.fireside.fm. Again, that is perception.fireside.fm, perception.fireside.fm. They can also search for us on Google by searching for the full name, Perception is Reality, with Christopher H. Bilbrey, or by looking for Bilbrey Podcast, which is B-I-L-B-R-E-Y Podcast. We'll pull right up. Please share this show so others might benefit from the topic because, like I said, this might reach one person that is out there that needs to hear this information. So before we get into it, we're going to take our first break. When we return, we'll get into the meat of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the 160th episode of Perception is Reality. We'll be right back.
here is looking for horrible coffee. Anybody? You over there? No, I didn't think so. I'm not, and I didn't think you were either. If you're looking for coffee perfection, then you need to give my friends at Bean Fruit Coffee Company a try. And you can find them right now online at beanfruit.com. Folks, they are striving for coffee perfection, and aren't we all? Since 2010, they have meticulously selected and roasted the highest quality coffees from around the globe. They believe that a great cup of coffee is no accident. It is a process, one in which they have spent countless hours perfecting. You need this coffee in a cup near you, and you can get it there right now. All you have to do is visit Bean Fruit Coffee Company at beanfruit.com. Do it today. All right, folks, we're back. The show's perception is reality. This is episode 160. You're talking to Amber and Chris, and I got to apologize about my voice straight off the bat. I'm dealing with the sinuses that I deal with, so there we are. Uh, All right, we are talking about depression and how it has affected our lives, and hopefully it will help one of you. If so, please let us know. But I figured that we could approach this just from your life and my life and kind of look at how we have dealt with moments of sadness or depression. And, uh, you know, there's definitely a difference, but we wanted to talk about all of this and give ourselves an outlet, which hopefully gives you all an outlet. So the, the reason this cropped up is I've had a friend of mine recently that has reached out to me. Uh, a guy that I've known since high school, since middle school, honestly. Um, And just in talking to him, it's come up that he's really depressed. Uh, And he's got a lot of things going on, a lot of issues happening in his life. Uh, he's, He's single. He has recently had a job change. He's not uh, involved in the life of one of his children. And he's, he's, you know, dealing with things and he's trying to deal with this stuff. But he's definitely suffering from some major depression. And, you know, I've been trying to talk him into going and seeing a doctor. Maybe he'll do that. Maybe he won't. We're still a, a work in progress. But it was this guy that made me realize a lot of people in my social circle right now seem depressed. They're sad. They're blue. They're dealing with major depression. And I just got to thinking about times in my life that I have been, you know, sad or blue or depressed or, or, you know, with the quote unquote understanding of what depression is. I'm not using it as a medical term. I've never been diagnosed as depressed, obviously. Uh, But I'm just using that as a term that we use in society. But there's a lot of people right now that are, are sad or down or depressed for various reasons. And I don't know if it's just something that people go through, specifically when you hit a certain age with various life factors happening, or if it's something currently going on. You know, I, I really don't know. And I think it's interesting to look at. I can tell you this 
I remember when I was young, when I was 10, 12 years old, I can remember my mother being depressed and, you know, just didn't know why. You know, there was nothing really going on um, in her family, you know, like she was married and, and, and happy, happy in the marriage. You know, she had two amazing children, my brother and I, but she was just depressed, you know. And I didn't understand that, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of thing didn't make sense to me. Now, she had some changes in life with career changes and various things, and I think talked to the doctor, and she got through that and is wonderful now, but I remember her going through this, and at the time, it just didn't make sense to me, and it didn't until I was quite older. I just thought, man, what what is this depression? It just, I don't, like, I don't see how people can be depressed. You know, I just hadn't suffered anything in life that would put me in that at that point. You know, even when dealing with something really traumatic, like the death of a family member, to me that seemed situational. So, like, it made sense to be sad or, or down. And then time eventually would heal that. You know, that's obviously my naive younger brain. Obviously, as I'm older now, I realize, hey, wait a minute, you know, shut up, kid. <laughs> you, you know nothing yet. And so I realize that now. And being nearly 40 years old and having lived the last 27 years since I was that young punk that didn't realize, you know, maybe what all was going on in my mother's life or, or her friends or whatever, you know, I now know what we know, you know, that various things trigger various people and, you know, <laughs> life is not always what it is when you're 15 and in high school or, you know, whatever, you know, that life gets serious and there are ups and downs and you deal with things in various ways, you know. Obviously, again, we're not doctors, we're not medical professionals, we're not going to necessarily use the right terminology because we're just two people, two people talking, and that's what I want it to be. While we might not use the right terminology or we might say something that's a little off. What we're doing is talking about this, having a conversation, opening the door, and taking the stigma off of this. And that's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting people out there that's dealing with this to not hide, to come out and to talk and to be open about this. Because that's one way that we can fight back against this. So Amber, let me ask you, has depression played a part in your life? Depression, sadness, or the lives of your friends or family? You know, how do you look at this? How do you deal with it? And what are your thoughts on this within your life and the lives of your, you know, close people, family, friends, and so on? <clears throat> so depression has always been a word that I've been familiar with because um, when I was growing up, I was always told so my, I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad when I was little. Um, and I was always told that he was bipolar. And, you know, when you're little, you're like, what does that mean? And it was always just, 
oh, well, it's, it's manic depressive. And I'm like, okay, I still don't understand what that means. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and then as I, as I got a little older that, you know, my family told me more and my dad told me more when I saw him. Um, and then my grandmother also, um, always, always, always said she was depressed and I could never, I never understood that because she'd tell me she was depressed, but then she'd also be like, I'm so happy you're here with me and I'm so happy we get to spend time together. And so I was confused by it. And then, you know, I hit high school and never, I didn't really hear of it anymore. My dad and I had a better relationship by high school. Um, my, my grandma still said she was depressed then, but I, I mean, it was high school, you know, I was busy. And so I just, I didn't like research it, I guess. I don't know. Right. Um, and then I, nothing like my, my family, my mom always told me like, you know, you need to, she, she never talked to me about it from a, like, how are you feeling standpoint, but more from like, you need to stay on top of talking with your doctor because bipolar can be um, genetic. So we need to, we need to make sure that, that you don't have that. Um, And that was all I ever really heard of it. And then um, I guess, I guess I'm just going to be honest. I mean, you know, why not? Sure. Um, I, I was pregnant with my oldest when I was, I have to do the math, (laughs) 22. Okay. Yeah. 22. Yep. And I had him, everything went fine. Normal, you know, normal delivery, blah, blah, blah. And he was three months old and we were getting his pictures taken at a photo studio like 30 minutes away from our house and he was i mean he was three months old so you know that's still that's still relatively fresh in the latest latest babies and he had this little monkey like lovey thing that i made sure was with him all the time obviously he was not carrying around by his own choosing at that age and we left and went to a family dinner with my husband's family at the time and I noticed it was gone. And when I tell you I lost my shit, I lost my shit. Like, it was not just like, oh, I'm so sad he won't have it tonight. It was hysterically crying, hyperventilating, trying to convince my husband to drive back to this photo studio, even though they were closed. Like, losing it. Because this... I had created some like bond between my child and this physical thing. And finally my mother-in-law at the time came out as I'm like crying in the car. And she was like, have you been to the doctor? And I was like, yeah, I mean, you have to go to the doctor like six weeks after you have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And she was like, no, have you looked into postpartum depression? And I was like, no, why would I? And she said, well, 
this is not normal. Like, you are uncontrollably upset about something that you most likely know you're going to be able to get in the morning. Right. And when she said it that way, I was like, she's right. Like, I was not choosing to be that upset. Like, my my child was fine. My husband was fine. Like, but I was absolutely losing my mind over this stuffed animal. Right. And so I went to the, I scheduled an appointment with my doctor, mainly because she told me to. Um, Your mother-in-law. Yes. Not, not really because I was like, okay, I should probably do this. And explain to him what was going on. And he was like, um, yeah, I, I think we need to get you on something. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean on something? Like, what does this mean? And, you know, I was, I was concerned for uh, my baby because I was nursing. I was like, no, oh, yeah, like, yeah. I can't be on anything. And he was like, 99% of antidepressants are fine. Um, and I just, I felt... It was, it was very odd because I felt relief because I was like, okay, like maybe I won't be overthinking every single thing that happens in my life because that's what I was doing. Like, and that's something that I learned later on was very common with postpartum depression. Like every time we'd get in the car, instead of thinking, oh, we're going to go to Target, I would think, oh my God, what if we get in a car accident and my child is thrown <clears throat> out the windshield and like horrible, awful, it's called intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I won't, I won't get into any more detail in case that is like triggering to people, but I was, I, it was a relief to hear that from my doctor. And then also at the same time, I felt like I was a failure because I was like, here I am. I've been warned my whole life to not become bipolar as if that's like a choice, you know? Yeah, sure. And I'm, this is supposed to be, you know, everybody tells you you're going to be over the moon when you have your baby. Everything is so great. And here I was having to take medication to regulate my mood or my thoughts or whatever. And it was, it was just a really odd place to be. And the first, the first medication they put me on I immediately felt really odd, like within hours. And maybe that was, maybe that was me just overthinking things. Um, but then my husband and I noticed that my son, who was normally, you know, a really happy baby, would usually laugh and giggle and coo and, you know, was interactive. I mean, as interactive as an infant can be was like a zombie baby. He would just sit there and stare off into the distance. He wouldn't cry. He wouldn't laugh. And I was like, okay, this is not okay. Right. I called the doctor. I was like, whatever you put me on has, you know, put my child into this like weird catatonic state. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want any medications. This is ridiculous. I'm not doing it. And how old, how old, I don't mean to interrupt you real quick, just to get a frame of reference. How old would he have been around this point? 
somewhere around like five months. Okay, this was just strictly so we could get a, a frame of reference from the point that you started taking the medicine when he was like three months, so we would know about how long it took to get to this point. He was still strictly breastfed, so he was not getting any food, you know, other other than from me. So, I mean, the medication I was taking was was obviously getting to him in in some capacity. Okay. And after I noticed that, I told my doctor, I was like, nope, I'm out. I'm not taking anything. And my doctor was like, you need to take something. We will be able to find something that works for you. And I was like, it's not about what's working for me. Like, it's not working for my kid. And the only way we will find out is if I take it again and he starts acting out of the norm again. Like, this is nuts. And he was like, this is completely normal for a mom to think this way when it comes to postpartum depression, because you're still, you know, trying to put your child first. And I mean, long story short, we, I did get, end up getting on a medication that did work for me and worked for my son. And I felt better than I had felt in months, literally. And it was weird because you don't know how long to stay on it because it's, you know, it's postpartum depression. So you're like, oh, well, you know, once my kid's like six months old, it's not considered postpartum anymore, right? Ha, huh, no. That's cute. Um, and, you know, with antidepressants, they tell you, do not just stop them cold turkey. Make sure you come in to see your doctor. And they can create a plan to, you know, wean you off. Well, I was, by that point, I was 23. We were flat broke. I mean, when I say broke, we were broke, broke, broke. We had a baby. And I'm like, I am not going back into the doctor to schedule an appointment just so he can tell me to take less of these pills. Right. Like that, that, is so, that was me being, you know, a pompous 23-year-old who had one child. So suddenly I knew everything. Um, so I just stopped. And... I know this is not recommended. As Bilbrey said earlier, we are not doctors. Luckily for me, I had no side effects. I stopped. I was fine. Um, but for reference, I was also only taking a five milligram a day pill. So like next to nothing. Um, but I would not recommend that because they tell you not to. <laughs> so don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's my first experience with depression, I guess, is what I should say. I've heard you mention that on your Facebook Lives before talking about that experience. And I know that that's something that a lot of mothers, new mothers, uh, have went through. And, and I know that there will be mothers that will go through this. So hopefully it's able to help somebody that's either going through it or help somebody that went through it to realize that, you know, they're not alone. A lot of people have experienced that type of thing. It's important to realize that there are various aspects of this. You know, there's there's being sad because, you know, you're not where you want to be in life, you know, but you're okay with your children and you can function, but you're just, you're not in the right job or you're not, you're not driving the car that you want to drive. And then there's also, you know, like you said, Depression around childhood and, and rearing children, the, the postpartum, the antipartum, and, and various aspects of that. There's situational depression, which might 
arise because of the death of a family member or going through a divorce, and then there's clinical depression or the various different types of bipolar disorder. So you've got to deal with a medical professional when you're dealing with all of that. But just to talk on this level, you know, there's things that we all go through, like the, the loss of a parent or the loss of a child. You know, my grandparents have lost two children, my uncle and my father. But it's weird to see what that does because on a day-to-day basis, they're happy. They're happy with their lives. They're happy with my brother and I, you know, their two grandchildren. And they do well. They get out. They're, they're active in their community. They, they uh, have older cars and they go around to car shows. But they're both very much sad. And it's like a type of depression that always kind of lingers there under the surface. I mean, you know, when we talk about me and the loss of my father, obviously there are times that I think about him or there are times that I'm sad that he's gone. Like if something special happens in my life or his birthday or the anniversary of his death. But, you know, that's kind of a natural thing in life, okay? That was going to happen at some point. And you you deal with that, okay? You know, I don't sit around and think that I'm depressed because my father died six years ago. However, when you're dealing with the loss of a child, I mean, that is something that never goes away and that is not natural, okay? It's not, it's not what most people deal with. So she has this type of depression associated with that, and I would call that like a situational depression that, you know, she just doesn't understand. She'll say, like, I just don't understand why I'm so down and, and I'm not getting through this. And I'm like, you're not going to get through it, you know. Uh, if you need to go to the doctor to get medication to help you, it's not like you need something long-term or that you take every day like a uh, something that you might take if you have clinical depression or bipolar or whatever. Like, you know, I'm not going to take a Zoloft for this or, or uh, whatever the other medications are for this where you take it every day. You just deal with this when you're sad if something brings it up. And it might be a dream or it might be an anniversary or it might be anything that triggers it, but it's going to be different than, like, say, what I deal with. Or, you know, you deal with the loss of a coworker. That might be sad when it happens, but you start to heal from that. But in this situation, you know, they're dealing with some kind of a situational depression and I don't think that it goes away and it's important to realize that as well and I like I tell her it's okay for you to be down about this it's okay for you to live life and have a happy life and and be going through and be happy and then a song come on that reminds you of my dad and to be upset about that because it's an upsetting factor in your life and that's part of it as well knowing that it's okay to experience these feelings. You don't have to mask these feelings. You shouldn't try to hide them. Don't bury them. Bring them forward and talk about them. That's the reason I wanted to do this episode. I'm not trying to tell people that depression is horrible bad because it has aspects in life that you know are beneficial and, and you're able to talk through them. And, and there are aspects of it that, that you know are just part of the human condition. And I just tell her, you know, use this to 
to talk about dad and to think of a happy thought and, and bring up good memories. And, and that's how we utilize that. When she's that way, you know, we, we then talk about various happy aspects and it generally turns her around pretty quickly and it allows us to focus on the good rather than the bad. Because look, the bad is not going to go away. Things like that are going to happen. But it's how you deal with them and how you look at them. I mean, honestly, it would be bizarre if she was happy and didn't feel this way. And that's another way that we have to look at this as well. It's part of the normal human experience to be sad when something sad happens. And, and sometimes that's just sadness and sometimes that leads into depression. And, and, you know, it's not good to live your life depressed, but it's good to be able to experience that and work through it and, you know, hopefully come out the other side of it. For me, I have two specific instances in my life where I now looking back think that I went through some either extreme sadness or even borderlining on depression. And those instances both revolve around major changes in my life. The first time was when I left law enforcement. I left the prosecutor's office and I was making a major change in my life. I was going to start doing something that I had done, you know, before and working with my father. Uh, and I enjoyed doing that, but I was making a, a choice and I was making a, a you know, a, a change that was going to take me down a different path and it was going to lead me in a different direction, which was away from these goals and hopes and dreams that I had. And so it was a major upheaval and I, I got really sad. You know, I didn't realize what was happening at the time. Uh, it changed the way that I dealt with people in my life. I didn't want to do anything. I, I stayed in the house. Like I, I didn't want to go out for, uh, quite some time. And I know it seems goofy or people are like, what, you know, what's the big deal? But you know, it was something that triggered me and I was just very, very down because, you know, I was like, now what, you know, that's a big part, especially somebody who, you know, who's currently in it, you know, you talk to them, and they would tell you, you know, this is this is my life. It becomes a way of life, and that's very much what it was for me. And and it changed my pattern of eating. I, I didn't sleep well, and you know, I was irritable. You know, I was fighting with my wife at the time. You know, and and uh, it was just it was very hard to deal with that. And even though all of this aspect. In my life, every other detail was was great. It was just this key factor, and I couldn't be happy for all of these other factors because this one issue was really causing me, you know, grief and sadness. And it took a period of time to get out from under that. Now, at the time, I didn't realize that that's what it was. I was just like, blah, this is life now. Now I look back and realize, okay, maybe I was dealing with some depression then, and I realize, you know, what that was. But while I was going through it, I just really didn't realize what was happening, and I didn't talk to anybody about it, and, and that is why I'm so hyped up on people talking, because I kept it all bottled in. 
And that is something that I feel like, you know, drug that out. Had I talked about it, had I been open about it, I think I could have handled it a lot easier. But I didn't, and, you know, it, 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 it did what it did. I mean, it was, it was very difficult for me in that period of time. And the second time I went through what I consider to be a bout of depression was after the divorce uh, with my wife and I just a couple years back, uh, three or four years back now. Uh, but I went through depression, uh, you know, for, I would say, a good year and a half or two years. And it was, it was really heavy. Again, I had a great job at the time. I had good friends around me. I had, I had a family that loved me and cared about me. Uh, I was happy and healthy in every aspect of life, except I was going through this divorce, and it was really, really crazy. I mean, I lost a partner that I thought was supposed to be my partner for life. Uh, you know, I lost uh, stepkids that I had uh, been in their lives since they were very, very young, and I had helped raise them and, and had been very, very active in their lives. You know, that, that was just gone. You know, I was, out, I was out of my home that I had worked on and had worked to, to build up into the home that we had, uh, and, and all of that was different. You know, I no longer have this partnership. You know, here I was in my, in my mid to late 30s, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you know, my, my marriage life is over. You know, my sex life is over. I, I no longer have a partner. I no longer have this person who's experiencing life with me. And, and, you know, I'm not ever going to be in that situation again. I'm not ever going to be in a, in a situation with a person where I feel as comfortable as I did her. And I just thought at that point, like like everybody does when they're dealing through a divorce, a, a breakup like that, you know, you just think there's no way to get through this, that this is it. This is the one great love of your life. And, you know, <laughs> that's that's comical because coming from where I'm at now, where I'm at now is a place of, of sheer happiness. And, and I am, I, you know, I, I would never have thought that I could be, uh, you know, this happy. And, and, and I, you know, without getting into it too much, uh, I, I will say I am happier now than I have ever been in my entire life. And I, I really feel like I have come into, you know, a new existence, a new understanding of who I am. And I live life like a different person. Now, I'll be really honest. I, I feel like I finally realized what it is to be a man living in the world. But man, during that two-year stretch after the divorce, you know, again, it changed my eating pattern. It changed my sleeping pattern. It changed how I interacted with friends and how I interacted with strangers and, and just, you know, how I, how I operated my daily life and, and, Every waking hour was dealing with this depression that, again, I bottled up, I kept inside, and I did not talk to anybody about. Nobody knew I was going through it except for close family, you know, my mother, stepfather, you know, grandparents. Everybody else, I kept on the outside of it. 
and I, I put up this facade like everything is normal, and everything was not normal. And again, that's why I'm harping on talking about this and, you know, bringing this out. I, I didn't bring this forward because I thought there was a stigma attached to it, and, and I was embarrassed by it. And, you know, I realize now, had I been talking about this, I would have probably got through it a lot quicker than by not talking about it. But I was too embarrassed to do that. I was too emotional about it. So I just kept it in and I put up this front that everything was fine. Everything was okay. And that is the worst thing that you can do. Do not hide behind a wall of fakeness. Let it out. Let people that you love and care about see what you're dealing with because they can help you. They want to help you. They don't know how to help you. They don't know how to help you specifically if you're lying to them about it. And that's why I want to talk about this. So people realize you have to talk about it. Express yourself to somebody. Find somebody to talk to about it. Whether it's your mother, your father, your, your adult kids, or, or your brother, your sister, you know, some cousin, some family member somewhere, your best friend, a co-worker, a stranger, a doctor, find somebody to talk to about this and expose you know, these wounds to them. Expose yourself, you know what I mean by that, uh, in a way that they can see so that you can have this dialogue because it will help. It does not help to keep it hid inside and to pretend like things are okay. That just prolongs the hurt, the, the, the damage. You need to get it out and expose it and be able to work through it. And let's be clear, I'm talking about talking to anybody, like, you know, your brother, the mailman, the guy at the barbershop, whatever. There also is a real-life point where you need to talk to a doctor, and you need to be able to understand that as well. You know, talking to your sister, your cousin, your sister's cousin, your sister's cousin's neighbor's brother is fine for a lot of things. <clears throat> but there also comes the point that you need medical help, and you need to be able to understand that as well. And that is... I guess comes from maybe also talking to people because if you tell your friend, hey, da 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 is going on, you know, maybe your friend's like, hey, this doesn't sound normal. I can't deal with this. You need to talk to somebody. You also need to understand that there will come a point that that might be necessary too. And, and that is an important point to, to hit on and, and for people to realize that sometimes. You know, just your friend's not going to be able to cover it. You know, you might need medical assistance, and and that is important to realize. It's it's interesting when you when you come to that point where you're like, okay, maybe I do need to talk to somebody, because then you're like, it's just awkward because everybody tells you like, therapy helps, or you need to talk to a friend, or but you're like, okay, well, I don't want to bog my friends down with this. And if, if it's depression, you're like, well, I'm just going to depress somebody else by talking to them about right. it, you know. And then when you think about talking to a therapist, that's, you know, I'm assuming 99% of the time a complete stranger. Yeah. So that's kind of 
odd. And it's it's just, it's a really weird crossroads to come to because it's like, okay, I am recognizing within myself that I might need to talk to someone and I might need to do something about this. But then you're like, well, who the fuck do I talk to? Right. And what do I, what do I say? You know, like it, it's just, it's odd. It can be very nerve wracking to realize that, okay, I am going to go in here and spill my guts to this person and it can cause anxiety and, you know, it can be tough, but you know, you have to be able to work through it and realize that these people are professionals and they're used to you and people feeling exactly the way that you feel about talking to them so they can they can help you. Getting there is the first the first part, you know, hurdle to get through. Just get there and they can help you get to that point. Another thing and just Briefly, I want to touch on this. You you mentioned that you took medication. You know, people need to not have stigma around that as well. Yes, I understand that people don't want to take medication. It's not fun. And, and you want to try not to have to. But if, if you need it and your doctor feels like you need it, then, you know, be about it. Do what you've got to do. You know, you took medication and, and you stopped. How long did you take the medication for that you were taking? Somewhere around his first birthday. Um, so I was on it for, I don't know, like eight, eight-ish months, something like that. Okay. Um, so definitely not anything like hugely long-term. And looking back now, I did not realize this then, but looking back now, I think one of the reasons that I was successful in stopping the medication when I did is his birthday is, April Fool's Day. So his birthday is the beginning of spring. And I am a much, much happier person in spring and summer. (laughs) Wait, Um, you mean just always normally? Yes. I didn't realize that then. Like I knew that I loved summer, but I did not realize that I 100% believe that seasonal depression is Mm. a thing. Mm -hmm. Meaning meaning influenced by the seasons, yes. not, not an event in your life. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of the reason I was successful at the time because I was taking, I was coming off of it when the weather was getting nice again. Right. I, if I had to, if I had to guess going back, if I would have tried to come off of it in, you know, January or February, it, it probably would not have been a good thing for me. So you would have just been on it longer or maybe you wouldn't have felt like you could have came on, you know. I probably would have thought, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have come off of this. Like, what am I doing? It's, I'm still so unhappy because I'm just even now, like I am not on any type of antidepressant medication now. Um, but as an adult, I am just I am a happier, more pleasant, yeah. more motivated person in the spring and summer than I am in the winter. You know, I didn't realize it here until the last couple years that I definitely suffer from that. It's definitely a thing that I deal with the seasonal affective uh, situation. Um, and I don't get like majorly depressed or sad, but I'm just like, Oh, you know, and I, it definitely affects my mood. I, I can tell you that 100%.
Um, as far as you're concerned, what is it? Is it the warmth? Is it the light? Do you know what it is about that that affects you? For me, it's the light. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Um, that is, that's the, definitely the, the length and days. Is, I mean, is, is that what you're saying? Like the fact that there's, there's light, you know, from, from early in the morning to late even, at night? Not even necessarily that. It is the the lack of cloud cover (laughs) (laughs) okay like i just i hate the i hate the gray i hate the gray and the constant like when you look at the, the you know the little weather app on your phone yeah the constant like cloudy 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 partly cloudy mostly cloudy like i just i hate that i I do so much better when I can get up in the morning and I can tell that the sun is shining and there's not very many clouds and it's not like a constant rain or a constant sleet or snow or whatever nasty things that the Indiana skies do from November to like April. I, that's just, it's the, it's done. And I, one of my friends told me, she was like, oh, well, you should go tanning in the winter. Hmm. Like, you'll get, you'll get the vitamin D. It's like being out in the sun. And I'm like, but it's not, it's not the same for me. Like, yeah, I like being tan, and I'm a happier person when I'm tan, I guess. Because, um, you know, tan fat looks better than pale fat. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that, the tanning really doesn't even do that much for me. Because as soon as I leave the tanning bed and I walk outside, it's gray and cloudy. Interesting. So that, yeah, it's, I don't take anything for it. Like in the winter, I just know like, I'm going to be slightly more grumpy for the next three months and slightly less motivated and probably more tired. Um, But yeah, I, I definitely am affected by the, the seasons. I, I think for me, that it is specifically the daylight daytime hours. The fact so you, that you need a good ratio is what you're saying. Yes, I'm telling <laughs> you because I, I'm telling you, um, it is something that I deal with and know every year. I always know when the longest day of the year is, and I always know when the shortest day of the year is, and I always keep track of those, and when we are marching towards the longest day of the year, I'm like, yes, this is great, and as soon as we hit that longest day, like we just hit it here recently, I, I'm like, oh, and a little part in me just dies, and I'm like, oh God, it's it's starting to get shorter each and every day and i'm just like oh no you know it plays on my mind i'll be honest i wish i could forget it (laughs) but it's it's there 
Oh, yeah, um, I definitely count that. You had to be, you know, Debbie Downer last week. Yes, I know, because the longest day of 2021 was just recently. It was Sunday, June 20th, and I let everybody know, which I know it sucks. I, I, let me tell you, I let people know because I dread it with you all. But I think, man, if I'm going to have to face it, so is everybody else. Here's the deal. You won't even notice it for the first, I would say, 10 or so days. You know, I always say you don't really notice it until midpoint of July that the days are starting to get shorter. For me, the longest day of the year always feels to me like it's the 4th of July. Because you're waiting to see the fireworks and it seems like it's never going to come and the kids are going crazy. You sit outside and I'm I'm always with my kids. Yep. Chris is always working, so I'm like sitting here. When are the fireworks going to start, Mommy? When are the fireworks going to start? Like, if I had a dollar for how many times I've heard that in the last 10 years, I could put on my own really damn good fireworks. That's show. hilarious to me. That's so funny. That, and it, I've just always felt like, you know, it, it's not all the way dark on that day until basically 10 o'clock. So I've, in my head, I've just always been like, you know, okay, after the 4th of July, it's probably not going to be as dark as late. I've always said around the 10th or 15th of July, but yeah, I like that around the 4th of July. Here's your freedom. Now it's going away. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so seasonal affective disorder, depression tied to that. I definitely get that or, or, or sadness, you know, being blue. I, I definitely, definitely get that. But to a lot lesser degree than a lot of other people. I mean, it's something that I deal with and I function with and I, I'm okay with it, but it can really mess a lot of people up and they really go through some serious depression around seasonal affective disorder. It, it can really be bad for some people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it can, it can be as severe as like clinical depression for some people. You know, people don't want to, people can't get out of bed and it, yeah, it can, it can be really, really bad. I mean, they make those like lamps that people can use and, and, and they do those things. They do tell people to go tanning and they do tell people to eat those vitamin D tablets and various things like that. So it can be really bad. You know, thank God it's never been like that in my life. And hopefully it stays, stays this way. Um, it, we started talking about this because we were talking about when you came off of your medication. Um, and, and, uh, and that's kind of what got us on this topic, but it felt like you were going to talk about something else. Was that it instance that you talked about a moment ago, your only, uh, issue with this or, um, absolutely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, not, if, if you've been listening, you know that I have twins. Um, what you may not know is that um, having those twins was a trip and a half. So I, my pregnancy with them was pretty normal from the beginning. Um, I found out I was pregnant very, very early. Um, literally the ER doctor that I saw told me I was two days pregnant and I laughed at her and asked if that was even a thing. <laughs> um, I had to tell Chris in a text message. So, and that was, and these were Chris's first children. So that was, you know, anticlimactic. Um, but as far as like the pregnancy goes, everything was relatively normal. I did have to have surgery when I was 14 weeks pregnant with them. Um, which was, it was, it was very easy surgery, but it's kind of, you know, 
weird to be like, oh yeah, I'm having surgery. Aren't you pregnant? Yeah, I am, but it's fine. Um, but other than that, everything was fine. I was still working full time. I was working a job where I was on my feet um, eight hours a day. I had no problem. Like I had no swelling. I had no, you know, like pain other than just, you know, the fact that I was growing two humans, like normal stuff. Um, and I was at work one day and my water broke at 28 weeks, which for those of you who don't know is three months early. Wow. The, the age of viability um, for most hospitals in the state of Indiana is somewhere between 23 and 25 weeks, um, meaning that if you go into labor before that time and deliver, they will not do any life-saving measures. Um, so we were we were just past age of viability at that point. Um, I was told by my doctor at the time, I went to the doctor's office and he was like, um, you're in labor. Um, I didn't feel like I was in labor either. It's not like I was like missing signs. I, I knew what to expect. I was not contracting. I, I felt fine. Like, so nothing there. Um, but he told me, you know, you need to go to Community North, which is an hour away from where we live. And I'm either calling you an ambulance or you are going in your husband's squad car. Those are your options. Really? And I was, yeah. I was like, um, well, I'll take the squad car because it's not expensive. So, so Chris picked me up and took me to the hospital and, um, to save you all the details, I ended up living in that hospital for nine weeks. Jesus. I did not see my house for nine weeks. Um, mind you, I was literally taken there from work. So I packed no bag, absolutely nothing. Literally just the clothes that I wore to work that day. Um, I was told, I was never told, and this is by no fault of the doctors, like I'm not complaining, but I was never told how long I would be there. Um, it was always just kind of, we'll, we'll see how it goes kind of thing. So even when friends and family and Chris were, were bringing me things, we never knew like how much to bring. And it was funny. I went into the hospital wearing flip-flops because it was the third week of October and the next week we had our first snow. Wow. So I, was, I was like, Oh, okay. Guess we're doing winter now. Got it. <laughs> um, so while I was before the babies were born, so I was actually on bed rest in the hospital for five weeks before they were born. I did have a window in my room. Um, but for the first two weeks, I did not leave the room because I didn't know that I could because I was not allowed to walk. So it's not like I could just hop up and be like, see you later. Um, and the yeah. doctor, the doctor had to put it in my chart that I was allowed a wheelchair ride. <laughs> and that had not been put in there. So I was there for two weeks before I was even allowed to leave the room. Oh, I had to be, I was allowed to shower alone, but I was not allowed to use the restroom alone. And it was, it was just a very, it was very odd. Um, 
But surprisingly enough, like while they were still cooking, I was fine. I mean, I got, I got sad a couple times because I was just so lonely. Like I was making, I was making really good friends with my nurses, Um, but Chris was still working. I had not seen my oldest son in weeks. He did not understand what was going on. He was four and a half at the time. And he was having to stay with my mom because his dad, my ex-husband, worked midnights at the time. Um, he, he had asked my mom, is my mommy going to die? Like, mm. we didn't, you, you don't know how to explain that to a four-year-old. Like, no, I was not going to die. Okay, well, then why is she living at the hospital? Like, he, he couldn't understand it. And sure. then when it, was, when it was, well, because she needs to take care of the babies. Right. Well, she needs to take care of me, too. Uh, how old was he? He was four and a half. Okay. Okay. Um, so it was, it was, that was difficult, but I was not, I wouldn't say I was depressed. And they, they had, um, when you're, when you have to stay in the hospital for bed rest, you basically get to see every type of doctor that the world has created. Um, (laughs) when it comes to like (laughs) babies. Uh, Right. So I saw a regular OB. I, met with NICU doctors and nurses multiple times, just kind of like in preparation, like, Hey, your babies are probably going to come see us. Um, I met with a maternal fetal medicine doctor. They brought in a psychologist, um, that, you know, specifically dealt with, um, antepartum stays. Um, and, and even they were like, you know, you're actually in pretty good spirits. And I was like, yeah, you know. And then, you know, g- game day comes and we, we have the babies. Um, it was C-section delivery. I was awake for the whole thing. I did not want a C-section, but I didn't really have a choice. And I'm on all of these drugs, you know, because they're cutting me in half. Right. And the, the rule, like the hospital rule, is you cannot go up to the NICU. And the, the babies were born seven and a half weeks early. So almost two months early, basically. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. Wow. So they were taken to the NICU. They were not um, on any, like, breathing devices or anything like that. But the rule was I had to be able to stand up on my own before I was allowed to go up and see them. And when the way it works for me, just the way I react, when I have an epidural, the last thing to start working again is my feet. And if you can't feel your feet, you can't walk. (laughs) So it was, they were born at 1.30, and I don't think I got up to see them until sometime around nine. And I I remember t- like trying to stand up, but I do not remember the first time I held them. I have a picture of it, but I don't remember it. And it was when I realized that I would never remember the first time I held them, that it just all went to shit for me. And 
I immediately, like I immediately told the doctor that was like, I'm not really sure what she was, but she asked about mental health and she asked about other things too. And I immediately told her like, I have had postpartum depression before. I can tell you right now that if I don't have it again already, I'm going to. And I just knew. And it ended up turning into a years-long battle with depression, anxiety, anxiety like I had never experienced before. Not even necessarily anxiety surrounding my children, just like this general panicky feeling. Yeah. And like bouts of rage-like anger. Right. And it, it was, it was terrifying. And there are times I, I was, I was diagnosed with PTSD after that um, because of the delivery and the hospital stay and the NICU stay. Um, So I don't, I don't think it can all necessarily be attributed to postpartum depression. I think a lot of it is from the PTSD. And we experienced, shortly after we came home from the hospital, we experienced a huge um, issue in our family that I, I think compounded all of that. But that was, it was awful. It was like, there's no other, I can't, I can't sugarcoat it. I can't say like any eloquent words right now because it was just garbage like that's that's all there there is to it the the medication that time around it was the same medication because I knew it worked for me in the past I knew it didn't affect my first baby so I thought you know it won't affect these two babies who are much smaller yeah um and it 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 worked um but I ended up having to go up to 20 milligrams instead of five so you know four times as much and it it helped but it was not the the cure-all that it was before so it was it was a struggle like I felt like I feel like looking back now like the first time the medication was just like a band-aid that covered a tiny little cut and after a small time you know you take it off and you never even knew you had the cut before right and then the second time it was like a band-aid that we we tried to put on a wound that really needed like 50 stitches um so what i mean did 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 talking through i mean what what helped during any of that honestly i think the only thing that truly helped was time and i know that sounds so cliche because you're told time heals all wounds but there there are some things that i don't think will ever be healed honestly like i just i don't like PTSD is a completely, it's a completely different beast. It's so, 
it presents so similarly to you know anxiety and depression and and all of those things but i i still when we you know so community north if you're not familiar is the giant hospital that sits off to your left if you're heading towards castleton or indianapolis if you're on i-69 yeah so if you are going to 465 or castleton you are passing it like you don't have a choice and there are still for oh gosh for the first two or three years after the twins were born i had to close my eyes when we would come up on that exit right and now um i mean i I had to drive that very very consistently for my old job and i just i just kind of learned to block it out right and i think i i think i still do that like if i catch myself looking at it i i consciously turn away yeah Ooh, sorry um so it's it's just it's a completely like you can hear me it's a completely different thing and i am fine like like what you were saying with your grandma i'm fine on the the day to day sure sure and i can right. even i can even look through the old pictures i can look through the nicu pictures but there will just be some things that will catch you right and i think i think that is the and it's the weird things it's like the hospital you know a giant building right 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 and i think that's kind of the like the ptsd of it sure i had to be i had to be put under again um well not again i wasn't put under when i had them but i had to have another surgery again shortly after they were born i think I don't know, somewhere between six months and a year old. And I was like, is there any way you can just put me under before we get in the OR? Because I knew those, the lights. Oh yeah. The big, the big lights in the ceiling of an OR. Right. I knew those were gonna totally screw with me. And luckily I had a super cool doctor. It was my same, my same doctor that, I had with the twins and he was like, well, you know, we can't do that. And I was like, okay, well, can you like put something else in front of my face? And then as soon as we get in there, like push the button and knock me out <laughs> like, <laughs> right. or not have the lights on or something like, and he got it. I mean, he's an OB he's, he's experienced with that, but it's, it's the most random things. Uh, yeah, well, that's what that's what PTSD is, you know. That's 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 what that is, uh, you know. And and that's a that's definitely a, a type of depression or anxiety, uh, you know. And and that's when you get into a whole other uh, conversation of you know anxiety and depression going hand in hand, uh, and um, you know them them because they're obviously way different, and and I I say. More than depression, I suffer from anxiety. I have I have various different anxieties. I you know hypochondriac. I I deal with uh, some OCD issues um, and, and things like that. 
but uh, PTSD is a bitch, man. And and you know when you say PTSD, you think of of military. Uh, you think of um, you know doctors. You know maybe who who've been in, in the ER. You think of police officers or or firemen. Um, and and all of that's very true, and all of it's very real. But you know what you're talking about there is is definitely uh, you know. Uh, PTSD and and it's it is it is uh, it's hard it's it's just as hard as any of that other stuff. Oh, and I didn't even that's the thing when I didn't even know like you said military. I thought PTSD was only like for military. I mean, not I didn't think it like that literally, but I was like, this is only for people that have had you know that have almost died themselves in some like like a plane crash or you know had we're in a life or death situation and had to kill somebody like i thought you know there's no way that having babies is right. going to qualify you for ptsd <laughs> and it actually it, it actually wasn't until after we had that event in our family when i started going to therapy because i didn't i didn't go to therapy um right after the twins were born, I just, I told that doctor in the hospital, I was like, I know for a fact, I'm going to have postpartum, get me on medication. Let's go. Like I didn't have time for therapy. I had twins. <laughs> and it, it was only when no. I was like forced to go. Right. Um, because of this problem. Other event. And that's, that's outside of the babies, right? Is what you're saying? Yes. It okay. has nothing to do with the babies has nothing to do with, Chris and I. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, yeah. But it was only when I went for that. And it was like after the very first meeting and and I wasn't there to talk about the babies. I wasn't there to talk about their delivery, but you know, a therapist asks for your history that she looked at me and she goes, you have PTSD. And I was like, no, like, what are you talking about? And she was like, this is, how have you not talked to anyone up until this point? And I was like, well, that's the really cool thing about nurses that work a 12 hour shift and can't really go anywhere. They kind of turn into your therapist and they just don't know it. <laughs> right. right. So I really, I truly think that <clears throat> that's what got me through no therapy right after the twins were born. Like I, I still lived in the hospital with them <clears throat> in the NICU for four weeks after they were born and they had assigned the way it works at community north they had assigned nurses um they were called your primaries and you got to pick them and so as long as it was their day like if they had the day off obviously i did not see them um but i had the same nurses every day for 24 hours one in the morning one at night and they they were incredible, like absolutely incredible human beings that dealt with, you know, hundreds of other moms that were going through the same thing I was, if not worse. Right. And kind of acted as, I mean, not only did they know how to hook up all the little tubes to my children, they also knew how to talk to me and make me not feel crazy. So I think, I think that was it. Like, if you if you have the opportunity to 
see a therapist when you are also taking an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication, I highly recommend it. Yes. So that that's the thing. So many people will go to their primary doctor, their primary care physician, and get put on antidepressants or get put on you know, anti-anxiety medication. And that's just like, okay, here you go. And there's no real conversation about this. And that is not the way that this should be happening. I almost believe that they shouldn't be able to prescribe this medication. You're, you're, you need to see a professional in the field. Let me say this with all due respect, your family doctor Mm. or your PC knows absolutely nothing about depression or anxiety. Yep. Yep. That's, I mean, they can be the best doctor that you've ever had and they can, you know, diagnose your strep and and whatever else phenomenally and take yep. care of you in every other aspect, but they are just not they are not adequately trained on mental health, especially if they have been practicing for over 20 years. Absolutely. And and the reason being there is it's just simply a different world as far as mental health is looked at. The training that doctors get today is different on that than the training the doctors got 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So I absolutely agree with you there 100%. If you go to your primary care physician for any medical ailment, they're the man or the woman. But if you go for mental health issues, their job should be helping you find somebody in that field to talk to. And that person then can help you find somebody to either give you medication or they can work with your primary care physician on getting you the medication. Or if you're lucky enough to go to a psychiatrist, you you can have both in one. But you should go to somebody that knows about the medications, that that's their primary focus, and that also is able to do therapy, talk therapy, group therapy, whatever you want to do. Uh, but that needs to be a priority. I can't go to my primary care physician and, you know, ask for an x-ray for my hip, you know, like, oh, you need, oh, I can't even think of the word. What's the word when you're like a bone doctor? Uh, oh, I don't know. Bone Orthopedic. Doctor. Orthopedics. There we go. Yes. So like if I need something, you know, if I'm having back pain or neck pain or I've gotten whiplash, like your primary care physician is going to refer you to an orthopedic surgeon or an orthopedic center. Like, so if if they're not going to be doing all of those other things, they should not be handling mental health either. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree because, um, you know, that there are so many people – you know, I guess there have been people who've been helped through it, but there's been so many people that have been hurt through that because you need to, you need to be able to talk to somebody. You need to have that discussion um, outside of the outside of the medication, and it's it is so important. People might say, "Well, it's embarrassing," and you just cannot look at it like that. You have to realize that this is your life, and it is important. You, you wouldn't be embarrassed to talk to the doctor about cancer or to talk to the doctor about being a diabetic. You would talk to whoever you needed to talk to because those are important medical issues, and so is this. It's not an embarrassment. It is your life. Absolutely. And this, like, this sounds so cliche, but this, 
this time, this time that we're living in right now is more mental health focused than I think the world has probably ever been before. It's not where we need to be. Obviously there can probably still be some improvements, but you will be welcomed with, you know, more understanding than any other time in the past has, has ever provided. That's absolutely correct. That this is definitely a time where people should feel more free to be able to talk. And, and that's the whole goal behind this is just trying to show people that it doesn't have to be a secret or bad or negative thing that we can bring it out of the closet and make it not so stigmatized. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we need to take a quick break before we hit the end of the show. You're listening to the 160th episode of Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher Bilbrey. She's Amber Green, and we'll be right back. Folks, are you in the market for a new tattoo or body piercing? Then you need to check out Mr. Chad Jones and his crew at Abandon All Hope Tattoo and Body Piercing. They're located at 1716 North Wheeling Avenue, Suite 1 in Muncie, Indiana. Their phone number is 765-896-8985. You can find them on Facebook at Abandon All Hope Tattoo. Again, that's Mr. Chad Jones and crew at Abandon All Hope Tattoo and Body Piercing. Check them out today. Welcome back. This is wrapping up episode 160. We've been talking about depression and how it's affected us and and people around us. And and this is just scratching the surface, folks. We could have talked about various different aspects of this. We could have talked about, uh, you know, we could we could open up a whole podcast uh, on depression. And this is just basically scratching the surface and letting people know it's okay to talk uh, about these topics and trying to take a little bit of the cover off so that folks feel comfortable in having conversations like this. Again, I've, I've harped on it the whole time. The important factor here is that people feel comfortable to talk to somebody and uh, know that there are people out there that care and that want to help and that you're not alone in dealing with all of this. And before we wrap up, I just have to say, I know we didn't talk about this, but I feel like we I, I need to mention it at least somewhere in this episode, that when dealing with sadness and anxiety and depression and all the various offshoots of any of these You know, they can take a person into a really bad place. And although we didn't cover or talk about suicide or suicidal thoughts, I needed to at least let people know that your life is worth it. The people that are around you, that you interact with, even if you don't realize it, there are people that... that count on you that need you and if you ever feel that way you need to talk to somebody 
and it's it's different than even even the sadness or the depression. If you're having suicidal thoughts, you need to pick up the phone and call somebody. You can call me, 765-546-9796. You can call your local emergency dispatch, your, your hospitals. You can always call 911, all right? And you can definitely call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That phone number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. You know, pick up the phone and call. Make that call. You are worth it. And it's, it's something that... Um, you know, you just have to do it. And, and even at the moment, if you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for someone else. And that's, that's very important. So, um, you know, we wanted to talk about this and I wanted to talk about this because mainly because of what my friend's going through, you know, I, I thought it's important for people to know that we all suffer from various aspects of this and whether it's sadness or depression, situational depression or clinical depression or, or major depressive disorder or bipolar disorder, whatever you're talking about, someone's out there that can help and this is not something to shy away from. There's going to be a large number of people that listen to this and this is something that we should feel that we can talk about in, in 2021. This is something that should not be stigmatized and, and we have to be able to open the lines of communication and discussion around this. And I have to say, for anyone listening, if, if you have anything to add to this, please don't hesitate to reach out to the show. You can email us at khbilbury at gmail.com, or you can call or text the studio line at 765-546-9796, or you can also hit me up on Facebook at... Uh, Christopher H. Bilbrey on Facebook or facebook.com forward slash Bilbrey 318. We would love to hear your information as it pertains to the podcast, what we've talked about, your story, uh, or anything that we got right or got wrong. And uh, I think that's probably a pretty good place to leave it. If anybody is interested, um, you know, in talking to you, because I know there may be women that are listening that might find it easier to talk to a woman, specifically if it's about pregnancy issues or whatnot. You know, how can folks get a hold of you? Absolutely. Um, I'm very, very open when it comes to the struggles that I've had with postpartum depression and PTSD and anxiety and, you know, all of those things. Um, the easiest way would probably be to find me on Facebook at Amber Green. Green has an E at the end of it, um, and just message me there. Um, the business page um, is at Fate Style Studio, both on Facebook and Instagram. I'm very, very accessible um, on Messenger. So if if anyone has any feedback regarding the show or, you know, an ear or advice or what have you when it comes to depression or any anything along those lines, I am definitely an open book. Well, uh, Amber, I want to say thank you for opening up and talking about uh, your issues. And, and uh, you know, it's um, talking, I, I've talked about my issues before with, with uh, the listeners and at various times, you know, and um, it's, it's definitely uh, something that, 
that's harder to talk about, but it shouldn't be. And you know, the only the only reason it is 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 because it sometimes triggers bad bad thoughts, and, and you don't want to do that. But you know, the 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 more we talk about this, and and the more we open this up, the easier it becomes, and the better it becomes, and the more helpful it is for others. So um, that's out there, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. It's a little bit of a somber episode, but there's a good message here. It's very important. So please. Uh, you know, sometimes there are episodes I say more than others, share. This is one of them. Share this show with everyone you know. There may be somebody in your life that you do not know that needs to hear something that we've said. So please, please, please go out of your way to share this show. As always, work towards getting educated on the issues to help better your communicate your community. Uh, work on getting active and involved, and we can all work to bettering our community, bettering ourselves, if we just utilize our citizen involvement, getting involved, and and trying to make a difference. You can do it on a small scale, and, and that, in a lot of times, makes a big difference. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. God bless, and we'll talk to you again real soon. See you later. Bye. Ta-da. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.